Welcome to today's episode of The Square, a curious conversation with J.M. Rizzi. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So you have a lot of different hats. We're going to get into that in a second. But as an artist, when was it that things just clicked and you knew you wouldn't be happy doing anything else? Huh, that's a good question. I think for me, it probably started very early on as just the thing that I did. Were you just always like doodling and drawing? I was always doodling. Um, you know, there was a great comic book store in my neighborhood. Yep. Um, and so it was more just being really enamored by, um, you know, different illustrators mm -hmm. and then copying them like a lot of, you know, young artists do. Yeah. Um, and then when, when I, you know, it, it's always somebody else sees it and then that's how you know that you're doing something. There's some you validation know? there. Exactly. Yeah. So I, the validation came from being able to take a very small panel and scale it up um, on a piece of paper, For you know, sure. some printer paper sitting in front of the TV or, you know, sitting at the kitchen table and just drawing. And, um, and then the validation came from that. Um, and then it was just the thing that I did. You know, I was the artist in my family. I was the artist in my school. I was the artist in my neighborhood, yeah. you know, and then, um, you know, it wasn't until probably, you know, later into high school that I realized that you can even go to school and study art. <laughs> you get to, you I get didn't to even to know that existed. <laughs> exactly. I had no idea. You know, most of the, the, you know, my peers around me were either uh, not going to college or going away to just, you know, kind of party yeah um and none of that appealed to me and then I was fortunate enough to meet somebody who was going to um an art school the school of visual arts in New York in Manhattan mm -hmm. um and then once that door opened I thought oh I can I can do this yeah I can at least commit myself to something because it, you know at that age you know, all people are really asking for you is to commit to something yeah like so what do you want to really do? What do you want to be? Just, just commit, just commit to, something. to something. And so that door opened and I saw that, that you could actually study art. Yeah. Um, so then that's when I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Was there ever anything that was like second in the running? Uh, not seriously. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, no. It was always this for you. I think this is what I'm going to do. And, um, whatever happens happens you know so when you get to school and you kind yeah. of discover this abstract expressionism was there something about that that just like reached out and grabbed you versus you know something that isn't abstract more right. more figure or something else yeah i could i remember the exact day i was in a i was in an art history class and we were looking at slides and a franz klein drawing an ink drawing on um telephone paper came up huh. And it just reminded me of so much of the stuff myself and my friends were doing where we would just have these, you know, homemade markers filled with black ink and just drawing on everything. And now, he, you know, going back to that kind of validation, like you can do that. I'm seeing it, you know, in a slideshow in a classroom. That was just a big click. And then I wanted to learn more about who were these artists yeah. and what were they doing and why were they doing it? Um, and so that's, that was kind of the first hook, 
I remember writing down Franz Klein and yeah. let's find out who this, you know, it was still kind of pre-internet. So it was then just going to bookstores and it was, you know, I was also into jazz at that time. So, you know, jazz and art were similar because, you know, you could listen to a Miles Davis track and then you can hear, you know, John Coltrane on, on a track sure, and be yeah. like, oh, okay, let me now dive down the John Coltrane yeah. uh, rabbit hole and, and find the different people that he, he collaborated with. And yeah. so I was of that mind frame of either bookstores or, or record shops at that point in my life um, or coffee shops. Um, <laughs> lots of coffee. Lots of coffee. What is the role that, that music plays in both uh, how you create but also your inspiration? Yeah, so I, when I'm painting or making art, music is always on. Mm. Um, and the way that I sometimes compose a painting or when I'm doing a drawing, there is uh, a musical flow to it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that, and you know, when, when, when I'm adding in colors, there's like, you know, maybe the darker tones are the bass lines and maybe where there's pops of color might be like a horn pop here or a riff here. So in my mind, that's kind of how I plot it out. Yeah. I plot the, the artwork out musically. So it's got a flow, you know, to it. You mentioned that one of those milestones uh, in, in your journey as an artist was um, kind of discovering abstract expressionism yeah. in, in school. Tell me a little bit about what abstract expressionism is and then sure. w- who are the artists or what are the works that kind of stood out to you? Sure, sure. So um, it, it fit perfectly at this time in my life because abstract expression and was expressionism was kind of the first, and, and I'm sure scholars will scold me. Yeah. But uh, one of the first, you know, big art movements that American artists had. Uh, prior to that, everything was coming out of Europe. Mm-hmm. And there was artists in New York, um, they were trying to break away from that as much as they could. Um, so artists that were involved with that were um, Willem de Kooning, um, Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko, um, Franz Klein, who was one of my favorites, Robert Motherwell, and they were very scholarly about it, but they were they were trying to break away from the European movements. Which was mostly like real life. And or surrealism, surrealism. Um, cubism, because um, this was, you know, 1940s. Mm-hmm. And so what they were trying to do is they were trying to create an experience that existed on the canvas, right? So this is an experience that happened a moment in time. And it, it, it happened at a time, at a great kind of cultural renaissance um, for America, because 1940s, early 50s, also jazz is, is yeah. blue note is, is blowing up. Um, and, and you have the beat writers like Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, uh, William Burroughs. All, all of that, that whole package was really influential to me in my late teens, early 20s. It, 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 was, a, it was a time in American history that I just loved. Yeah. I, was, I was reading all the beat writers, I was listening to jazz, and I was just consumed with these abstract expressionist painters. And the cool thing about living in New York is that, um, you know, Allen Ginsberg, you could see. Like, you'd, yeah. I'd see him in, the, in walking around. Um, you can go walk past uh, Mark Rothko's old studio. You know, there was um, just all sorts of, like, that history was still around. It was accessible. Right yeah, there. yeah, yeah. It felt like this was real. And, and, and being there and making artwork 
you were an extension of that. So I've got this visual of you in a neighborhood in Brooklyn, and I'm sure completely wrong, but I've got this idea of kind of like a hole-in-the-wall comic book shop, and you go in there. Was there an artist that you were always drawn to or a comic or a character? Yeah, well, actually, this was in a different neighborhood. So we had moved from Brooklyn to um, Staten Island, which okay. is another borough of, the, of, um, of New York. And um, there was this comic book store called Jim Hanley's Universe, okay. which eventually they moved to Manhattan and they went on to have this really you know, big comic book store. But their start was in my neighborhood, right next to a train station. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a bunch of comic book heads that wanted to have a shop. That's awesome. You know, and there was uh, video games in the back and, you know, kids would get kicked out for cursing. <laughs> and for some reason you could smoke in there as a kid because that's what you do. You know, you play video don't games. Don't curse, and you but come on in and bring Yeah, cigarettes. just don't curse. So you can smoke cigarettes and play video games. That's awesome. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that was just like, it was, it was aptly named uh, Jim Hanley's universe. It was like another universe. And, uh, you know, the, the, the other people who worked there were illustrators. So mm. I just kind of enjoyed watching them. And they, you know, in, in true comic book, comic book, you know, uh, world, they were snobs. <laughs> I was just an annoying kid who wanted to see how they drew, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, and then I can kind of figure out what they were doing and yeah. bother them a little bit. Um, yeah. And that was kind of it. Was it was it just the aesthetic of the comic book style or was there something about the story of comics? The thing I love about comic books is the skies and even beyond the skies, literally the limit when it comes to the story and, yeah. and how deep you can go. You know, it depends. I think I was more into the visual aesthetics mm -hmm. of some of the comic books because I never really got too deep. And I've had friends over the years that are deep into the comic book yeah. world and I would not put myself there. I just liked the visual aesthetics mm -hmm. of it and wanted to copy them and learn. I kind of looked at them as like tutorials or, you know, things to learn from. Well, you can definitely see that in, in a lot of your artwork. I'm curious... One of the one of the um, accolades that you're known for is street art. When did that kind of come into play? Um, so that kind of came into play in like the late 1990s. And that stemmed from, you know, just to rewind a little bit. Uh, in high school, I was also very much, you know, after the comic book phase came the graffiti phase. Mm -hmm. Because things, uh, after they, they shut down the um, subway, writers everything came above ground right so that was just everywhere yeah and um i mean that just it, it hit at a perfect time because i was art, you know, i was already artistic but it was at an age where you're looking to be mischievous yeah as well and make a name for yourself yep, in a sure. way that's not you know too crazy yeah you know um so you know, I, I was into that for a while, and that's another thing that kind of led me to go to art school mm -hmm. because a, a lot of um, really great graffiti writers from the city went to this particular school. It's like you could follow the tags <laughs> all, you the can, the all the way to the school. <laughs> and then, um, so, you know, I, I studied um, there for four years and then came out of this really amazing bubble 
Yeah. Where everybody is important. Yeah. And then you're out and it's New York City and nobody <laughs> nobody cares. Knows who you are <laughs> or cares about this really creative portfolio that you've made. Yeah. So, you know, it was like it, it was a total wake up call. My first job out was third shift at a print shop. So working, you know, midnight to eight. Yeah. Uh, doing nothing creative. And, and that kind of went on for a long time. Um, and then I started noticing, you know, certain street artists were posting or putting things up. And so because I had an understanding of how to do that, mm -hmm. what times to do that, when the best time to go out and put your stuff up, yeah. um, I was like, I, I want to be a part of that dialogue because so many of the galleries were closed off to people right. or any other artists. I mean, it, it, the struggling artist in New York City is very real. Right. So I thought, and this is before social media. This is before. This is when blogs started yeah. coming about. So um, I just had all this artwork and was doing all this stuff anyway. Yeah. And I thought, let me start putting it up on the street, because really what you want to do as an artist is to be a part of a particular dialogue, whatever that may be. You know, I want to add what I do to this. So when was the point where you? where you felt, you know, we talked about verification early on, where yeah. you kind of looked back and you felt, okay, I've now moved from maybe struggling artist to artist. Right. Like I've, I've got the verification where you never feel like you've arrived, but no. you feel like you're, you're not in that struggling artist category anymore. Right. Well, that's a good point. It's like, how long is somebody, how long is an, an artist emerging? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like in the Grammys, it's like the new artist category, but they've been around for six or seven right, years, right, or right. even 20 years in some cases. Right, right, right. They just decided to recognize them. Exactly. Um, I guess that happened when I started to get more commercial, um, projects mm -hmm. and it started with a hotel in New York called the pod hotel um, they had asked me to create a painting on canvas so they they'd, they'd um, built this beautiful lobby uh, all glass and then there was a backyard that was still a construction site mm -hmm. so they wanted to have something temporary so that when people came into the lobby they didn't look out into this to the back yeah, in, into yeah, a dumpster sure. with trash and yeah. like, you know, an excavator back there. Yeah. So uh, I came up with this idea of creating this like back this canvas um, kind of piece that would cover it. And um, it was at a time when I was I, I told myself any project that I get, I'm going to treat it like it's at the MoMA. Yeah. I'm going to put everything into it. So yeah. the budget was really low. Um, practically, you know, for the amount of hours I spent, maybe like three days, yeah. you know, just um, drinking coffee <laughs> and painting this this masterpiece, um, and they loved it, and it became part of the aesthetic. So then, from there, they wanted more. So did that end up going away when the construction was done, or did they keep it? And they kept it. It's somewhere. Okay, I don't know where it is, but I then went on to. Um, do a permanent piece in their lobby, uh, painting murals on every floor. And then they went on to build four more hotels and I did the artwork for all of them. Oh, that's incredible. So it kind of just stemmed from that, like, hey, we just need a temporary thing. 
And you made the most of and it. And I was just like, I am going to rock this. This is going to be like my Guernica. That's you know? awesome. And from that, I was able to then say, well, you know, that first one we did was more of a favor. Yeah. And then once I became part of the brand, then I was able to, you know, just do that. So then you left New York. You've, you've been living in Dallas for how long? Ten years. Ten years in Dallas. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the, the difference in those two art scenes, especially for somebody that's an artist like you. Yeah. Well, the main difference is here you can have space mm. and a lot of it. And I think what most artists need is just some space and the time to make work. You know, mm. it's kind of a cliche, but time and space is is what most artists really need. And you can get that here. Um, and the art scene here, the art world, whatever you want to call it, is a lot more open. Um, you know, when I first started going around and introducing myself to people, um, they were receptive. Yeah. Whereas I think in New York, it's, they're not, you know, you is really it a competition have to, thing or just the, um, a critical mass of people? I think it's just a critical mass of people mm. and you kind of have to be, um, ushered in by other people, you know, um, which is just part of the networking yeah. game. And that's another thing that like putting up work, you know, publicly kind of circumvented that whole thing. Yeah. I can just go out and put my work up and then somebody can take a photo of it and then it appears on a blog and then that travels around the world. And it's like you kind of circumvented that whole thing which most artists tend to not like to do anyway, to put themselves out there, right. to network. Um, it's a difficult thing. You know, you have to have a lot of confidence. And whenever you're making art, sometimes like you, 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 you may think like, I'm, I've made something great, but I don't know. Yeah. I think it's great, but you know. And in a place like New York or any other big city, there is like what I call the invisible audience in your head, you know, where you're, you are maybe stopping yourself or criticizing yourself based on what you think, you know, yeah. other people may say. And then moving here, it helped me to realize that none of those things exist. Yeah. That audience does not exist. You can just make whatever you want and that's it. Because really what I, all I ever really wanted to do was just to sustain a life where I can make art. And that's really it, you know, be a working artist. Is it, so we're talking about the external art scene, art world here. Yes. Yeah. But you still have to create the art. Is the creation of the art different for you here than in New York? Yeah, much different because I don't, I, I'm not um, necessarily cultivating the work to a particular audience. I'm just making what I want to make. Is it more true for you here? It is. Yeah. Really? Most of my breakthroughs came when I, when I moved here. Huh. Your art has such a unique energy and style to it. It's, it's obvious to hear that you got some of your inspiration from, you know, comic, a comic book store sure. that you can smoke in. Um, but there's, there's such a, a unique energy to it. And, and um, I'm, what do you attribute that to? I think, that's a good question. I, I think that there are those influences in there, but I feel like the work that I make just perpetuates itself. Meaning, um, is it an exploration for, for you absolutely. as you create each piece of art? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes the exploration is 
um, you know, uh, doing a drawing with a particular material that maybe I haven't used before, or maybe it's creating a large, you know, ink on paper or ink on canvas, and then going in and kind of mining the compositions that I like from there and then mm -hmm. pulling those out and kind of bringing the viewer into the drawing itself by, you know, blowing it up. And that was one of the breakthroughs that I had down here in Texas, which I really couldn't do in New York, is I could make six foot by eight foot uh, paintings yeah. that were compositions of a larger drawing. So yeah. I can just pull the viewer in. Um, and one of the art movements that I really clung to um, when I was studying was the abstract expressionist mm -hmm. painters and um, you know they, they made these massive paintings in black and white uh, like Franz Klein or Robert Motherwell and uh, I was able to kind of find my own voice within that genre and, and bridge the gap between two inspirations in my life so the abstract expressionist painters and then you know uh, graffiti or street art because I'm using the materials from that world but but tying it back to you know a previous art movement is there you know kind of blowing things up and 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 diving in and bringing the viewer to a small piece is, is a really big thing for you yeah Do you know why I, I just I think I like the boldness of it. I studied design. I studied graphic design, um, and I, I can't shake that. Like mm -hmm. things, my work is composed and balanced, and no matter how hard I try, it, it ends up that way. Which is crazy because I think you're absolutely right. But when you look at your work, it's there's so many different colors and lines and whatnot. But you still incorporate a balance there that's right. really incredible. Yeah, I can't shake it. Um. What about your day-to-day? -day? So any artist, mm -hmm. even in an exploration, is going to get worn down day after day. What do you sure. do to kind of to keep the energy for that adventure and that exploration? I go back to drawing when I feel, you know, that kind of, um, I don't want to say disillusion, but, you know, sometimes when you're just making art every day, mm -hmm. um, I, I go back to two things. I go back to drawing and then just the sense of gratitude. Like, I get to do this. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm, I've gotten to this point where I could wake up, um, go to the studio at nine, and work from nine to five, and then leave. I mean, this is everything that I have been working for in my yeah. adult life. So I, I just, you know, I don't lose sight of, of where I've come from and where I am and, and try to maintain that sense of gratitude. Um, and understanding that some days it's not going to come and that's okay. You know, sometimes just being in the studio, even if you're not necessarily working, being there is, is, is okay. It's, it's okay to just be in the studio some days. Your, your art has been on buildings, it's been on handbags, it's been on shoes, it's been on buses. There's the, the, the application and the mediums have been really diverse. Is there something you haven't done yet that you really want to do? Uh, I mean, I'd like to do taller buildings. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I just love making really large scale paintings. So I think that's the goal is to just continue to make big paintings. Is is there a project or I, I get this as kind of um, like picking your favorite child, right? <laughs> but are there some projects 
or paintings that kind of stand out as milestones for you? I won't say favorites. I'll say right, milestones. right, 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 right. That's a good question. Like, if I were to look at backwards and say, okay, you know, at this point, you know, where are the where would I where would I drop pins? Yeah, and say that this changed here and this changed here. So definitely the um, the Pod Hotel mm -hmm. was a shift because now I was not only uh, making work, but I was representing myself, um, which is a big deal when yeah. you're going into, you know, um, meetings and standing up for the work that you've made. That's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a balance there, there's a dichotomy there because you have this artist sense that wants to be verified, but right. you're presenting yourself yeah. as something very confident. Right, 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 right. And in the back of your mind, you're like, this is crazy. <laughs> Are they gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna let me do this? Yeah. All right. Let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the next milestone was when I did my first exhibition in Hong Kong. Mm. That's when I w was able to um, do the collaborations with uh, Emilio Pucci and Perenza Schuler and uh, Jimmy Chu. And we did the double-decker bus that we wrapped, <clears throat> that I designed and we wrapped, and it went around the city for a month. Um, that was the, the milestone, the, the big one, because I'm in, I'm in Hong Kong. I've got a crew of, you know, late teens, early 20 year old <laughs> kids with, you know, their supreme knockoffs yeah. and, uh, and doing interviews all day long. Um, that was when I was like, I, 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 I just walked around, for, I was there for maybe 10 days doing these different- Just um, enough time to get over the jet lag before yeah. you turn around and come yeah, back. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Um, with just a huge smile on my face. I'd have yeah. to stop sometimes and sit on a curb and just be like, I can't believe that I'm here. Yeah. So I guess, you know, to go back to the other question, I, I really feel like that gratitude is key to keeping the, to keeping, to keeping the energy. Yeah, I, I never really ever lose sight of that. Is there, when you were talking about the collaborations, was there any hesitation in doing that? You know, with an artist, you have a, 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 you have a visual voice and yours is very unique. Yeah. Um, and there's potentially some trepidation about joining that voice with someone else's voice. Right. Was that ever something that gave you any, any hesitancy or pause or was it something where you were really looking forward to that collaboration? I was really looking forward to the collaboration. I think the only thing that gave me pause um, was trusting the people on the other side mm. because I didn't know them. Um, they reached out to me, asked me if I would want to do something in Hong Kong. Uh, we had multiple conversations. It's kind of, a, it's, it's a slippery slope because artists do get taken advantage of. Sure. So that was really my main concern as to whether or not this is real. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until I got on the plane and landed and I was picked up from the airport that I, I realized, okay, this is real. Yep. But that was really the only trepidation that I had. I don't want to, you know, get bamboozled. When people hear the term corporate art, mm -hmm. I think there's probably, um, at least traditionally, a, uh, uh, an image of maybe more hotel art that comes in and not like the good hotel art, right. but, but something just to hang on a wall. Sure. And then you have a corporate art residency program. And... It, you, you just don't think of somebody that has an artist of your caliber and whatnot, but that's something you've kind of dived just like, just like with the Hotel Lobby Project head yeah. into. Why is that important and, and why do you think a corporate art residency program is important? Well, I, the one that we did here, um, I just loved the idea 
of documenting the studio mm -hmm. and then having these large format photographs showing kind of inside the artist's space because that's a view that um, you don't often get to see. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, the studio is uh, kind of a sacred place. Sure. Um, and so allowing viewers to see what that looks like and then also to have those photos documented as a, um, a moment in time was important mm. to me as well. So I just loved the idea. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that, that was kind of the impetus behind me saying yes. I remember coming down the stairs um, in the, the middle of the Corgan building and right at the end of the stairs across the hall is, was, was one of your large yeah. photographs. And you know, I'm, I deal a lot with photography and film on a day in day out basis. And I was struck by how sharp and real it was. Right. And it, it was it was it was literally like a window into another room. Yeah. And 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 a room that you wouldn't necessarily expect. You know, and Corgan does a lot of things that are more artistically and design minded than a you know a regular office building. But even so, it you just it it felt refreshing. It felt like as somebody that's trying to create, it was encouraging that there's this painting or this photograph that of somebody else. Yeah. And their creation space. And they're doing it. And they're doing it. Right. Yeah. Is is there for for um, you know artists that are looking to move from that idea of a starving artist right. to somebody that is an artist? Right. Um, you know, I do think that there's some advantages to having corporate sponsorships and whatnot. But is yeah. there are there what are the pros and cons of that? Well, the pros are if you partner up with um, a corporation that sees the value in the artwork mm -hmm. um, and doesn't try to stifle the vision of what the artist wants to make. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and what I mean by that is to say, okay, um, we recognize the value of this particular artist's work. We want them in this space. We think it will you know, uplift the environment for the people who are here every day. And I think that's important. That's kind of part of the reason why I do public work is so that you know, people can just experience it. Yeah. You know? um, so to me, that is the, the pros. I think through the collaborations you were talking about with these artists that, yeah. you know, on the other side of the world, you don't know if it's real, you don't know how that's going to play out and it requires a certain amount of trust. Right. I would imagine partnering with like a corporate residency program requires that same kind of amount of trust. Sure. You don't know if it's real. You don't necessarily know what kind of influence they're going to want or whatnot. What, yeah. what is some advice for embarking on that journey? Uh, I, I guess, you know, whenever you're going to partner with um, any type of corporation is to one, make sure that you, you know, you understand your value mm -hmm. and you don't lessen that. You don't short sheet it. Yeah. Or shortchange yourself yeah. just to get, you know, I, I know a lot of people starting out will do that just to have it you know, on their CV. And that's totally fine, you know, because ultimately you can do whatever you want. Yeah. But my advice would be to understand what your value is and understand that if you're working for a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar corporation, they have the money to pay an artist. Yeah. So ask for it. Yeah. Um, and then stay true to whatever your style of work is. So I, I tend to never put you know, um, corporate logos. Um, I'm glad to work with a client 
I can I will gladly discuss color palettes mm -hmm. because I sometimes I enjoy that challenge. Yeah, you know, and it's almost like if I was a chef, and you say, okay, we want to cook this meal, but we'd like a couple of in these particular ingredients. Sure. Am I going to say no? Yeah. <laughs> you eat what I cook. <laughs> You might, I, I but might, you might miss out on an opportunity too. But yeah, I, I, I just feel like that there's a collaboration here, yeah. and um, you know, it goes back to that kind of sense of gratitude. Okay, if this, if this, if this company or this corporation wants to collaborate with me, um, I'm open to make it work. But where I draw the line is, you know, corporate logos. Um, yeah. You know, if they want something that I just don't do, yeah. you know, I'm primarily an abstract painter. Sometimes I put representational work in there. That's part of staying true to your vision. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to start doing charcoal portraits yeah. of, you know, employees because <laughs> yeah. I don't do that. <laughs> uh, and there's other people that would do it better than I yeah. would do that. So I don't want to take that away from them. What is kind of circling back to your your art and your visual voice? What do you think is the greatest value or purpose that your art can accomplish? That's a good question. I, I, I think primarily um, just the pure expression mm -hmm. of making art. Um, is there something is specific it? you want people to, to feel or maybe that they feel when they see your work? Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll make a painting or I'll make a mural and, and people will come up to me and they'll see things in it mm -hmm. that I, one, never intended. And the majority of the time, I don't even see what they're talking about. They'll mm -hmm. say, ah, I see how you've got, this is a face up here and it's looking down and there's, an, there's another person that's looking up and you can see their legs <laughs> are over here. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't see that at all. But in their mind, yeah. it created a narrative that they can relate to. Yeah. And I like that. I like they're not necessarily being this forced narrative of this is what it is. This is the only thing that you're supposed to get out of right. this painting. It's a bowl of fruit. Yeah. And you can make any other, you know, assumptions about it. But but with creating abstract work, I like that people can find their own narratives in it mm -hmm. and they can take it or leave it. Yeah. They don't have to read a whole essay to appreciate it. Um, they can just take it or leave it. And the public work I like to do because I feel like it's almost um, in some ways um, striking out ag against so much of the uniformity that we see around us. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they cover buildings with advertisements. Right. And yeah, I love the Apple ads. They're great. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the dog dressed up with the leather jacket <laughs> and it's a whole side of a building. That's great. But so much of it is advertising driven yeah. and how that subconsciously works in our head. So to just do a piece of art that's colorful and vibrant just kind of breaks that up a little bit. Yeah. Not and there to sell you anything. No, it's yeah. just there. Here's a piece of public art. Yeah. Um, I just think it's reassuring in a community. And if there are artists out there in whatever ilk that may be, could look at it and be like, oh, you can do that. Because that's really what any artist, regardless of what their, their form of expression is, yeah. is just to have that validation that you can do that. Yeah. Um, with so many things going digital and being virtual, yeah. is there a desire to see any of your art translated into digital or 
virtual or maybe like NFTs or anything sure. in that realm? Yeah, I'm currently working on a couple of collaborations for NFTs, um, but I'm doing it in a way that feels natural and not this big gold rush where everybody feels they have to now jump yeah. into this. Yeah. I want it to feel like, you know, I guess the word organic maybe doesn't fit when we're discussing digital, yeah. but just to feel natural. So, you know, a lot of the, 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 the work that I make is digital when I'm working with projects in China where I'm sending over uh, vectorized artwork sure. and then they're recreating it or covering buildings with it. So I have so much digital artwork already. Mm -hmm. it would, it, it's a good way for me to just share that. It's like another platform to share that work. Out of curiosity, for that process, are you creating physically and then digitizing or are you creating digitally? It's a little bit of both. So I'll do drawings and then I can, you know, digitize them, vectorize them, and then begin to play with, the, with that, with different colors, with different transparencies. And now with motion graphics, I can have things moving yep. around them. That's awesome. I know this is gonna be kind of a touchy question, but okay. is there such a thing as bad art? Yes. Okay, so yeah. it's not all subjective. Well, I think bad art is anything that's done that doesn't have any soul to it and you can see artwork and you, you know you went back to earlier when you were saying like you know bad hotel art yeah uh, there's no uh, let me let me put it this way i like that people make art mm -hmm. regardless of what they make yep. i think if you're if you're making it that's great but if there's if you're just going online let's say you know there's so many like youtube fads of like you know poured paintings and yeah. there are masters of it. And then there are people that are just do Saw it because, video. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's nothing really behind it. That to me feels like bad art. And I feel, I feel like it's almost a little bit of an insult to the people who are out there really kind of trying to master a particular craft or get something that's inside of them out. Yeah. You know, do you think that that's tied to art making people feel something, whether it's upset or happy or sad or? Sometimes, but sometimes, you know, especially now, you know, people just want likes. Mm. And so they're emulating things. And there's nothing wrong with emulating other artists. I think that every artist starts off doing that. And I tell people, you know, if there's somebody that you admire, copy their work. Yeah. Because eventually it'll become your own. Eventually you'll break away from that and you'll start to create your own style. But I guess it's really the why. Why are you making this? Um, and I understand that some things people are inspired by and they want to make it, but that doesn't mean that they're making good artwork. I can't imagine a better place to leave it than than thinking about why you do it. Right. Uh, I am I am curious, is there anything coming up that you're working on that you want to talk about? Um, hmm, let me think, what have I got coming up? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of projects in the pipeline right now. I don't necessarily want to jinx them. Fair enough. Um, but I will be um, creating a large outdoor installation along the University Trail. Cool. And that should kick Very off cool. hopefully in September, if not October. Awesome. Um, and that, that's, that'll be a really cool project because it's part of the University Trail um, underneath the Greenville Avenue Bridge. Okay. And the goal is to kind of create a, a sort of a destination. So I'll be creating some uh, exterior murals there and then they're going to have a master gardener come out and do some gardening. There's going to be a cool. bee pollination uh, thing there and then there's going to be some benches to sit. Um, so that, that I think will be really be kind cool. Kind of a multi-sensory experience. Yeah, 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, James. I really appreciate you talking with us. And thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about J.M. Rizzi, make sure to check the description below. We'll have links to his website and some of his artwork. And make sure you check out the next episode of The Square.